presentable. But we're doing it unto the Lord, and as we bringing each part a little bit, there's a there's a joy that comes in through us. And so I always used to say to our worship team, we're not aiming for stiff excellence; we're aiming for a joyful mess. And so I just want to commend you, you guys, as a congregation, that uh, it's got a real family feel here, and. Uh, that's what I, I just love worshiping God together with his family. So, 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 so I'm Monet. That's Jacob, my son. Sarah, my daughter. Up at the top there is Irina, uh, my wife, my beautiful wife. We've been married for. We married on the 11th of January. Every year. I can't forget that date, but I, is that good enough? 19 years. Thank you, I deserve it. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's great to be with you guys. And I, I, we also brought our youngest, he's a, he's a border collie. She's a border collie. And uh, so if she barks every now and then, Yeah, she, uh, the last time, Jeff, the last time we were here, the last night, Jeff took us out for a meal. <laughs> and Ross and Margaret already left to go to Somerset West because they were packing up their house. And uh, we got this frantic call from Ross. The neighborhood watch thinks there's a dog busy dying. Could I please go back to the house and fetch the dog? Because obviously Ross and them had left. We'd packed the car that morning. And uh, when Jeff took us, the dog obviously thought we'd forgotten it. And so we had to go fetch her and then she spent uh, some lovely time at the, outside the brass bell in the car. <laughs> I know it's Cape Town, I know that southern suburbs, you've got a lot of tree huggers and bunny huggers over here. We always leave a nice, like, uh, gap so that the dog can breathe. Do you guys, is that alright? Is that sinning? So she's inside and yeah, so if she does help, um, then uh, we didn't want to get called back. So that's about enough from me, about me. So Ross invited us to come and do the foundations here with you guys. And uh, I thought I'd maybe just share a little bit about how we came about the foundation course itself. A couple of years back, we were leading the congregation in Mossel Bay. And uh, there was a period of about three or four weeks went by where we had no responses to the gospel. And uh, we believe that the church should have people added daily to the number. And so as the leader of that church, I was like, there's something wrong. Like, we, we're sick in this area. So I remember going over to Bob um, and saying to Bob, Bob, we haven't had any responses to the gospel. Something's wrong. You know, we need to figure out what's wrong because otherwise we're going to have to fast. And I really don't like fasting. And so I spoke to the leaders and like, we, like all right, we're going to pray about this. And that evening God spoke to me. God said to me, Monet, I've been sending you little ones. I've been sending you salvations. But you haven't been taking care of them. And I'm not going to send you more until you start taking care of the little ones that are coming into the house. And so, you know, as Christians, what is our main purpose here on earth? Matthew 28, Jesus says, just before he leaves, he says to his disciples, Go therefore, 
into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And so Jesus comes to his disciples just before he's going back. He's going to heaven. He's going to leave them now. He's going to leave the Holy Spirit with them in like about 40 days' time. And he says to them, this is what I want you to do. And so I want to say to you, if you are here this morning, and if you have ever responded to the gospel, you've got Jesus in your heart, you've got the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you have a mission here on earth. And our mission is, is to make disciples, to get people into church, to get them reborn, and then to bring them into maturity so that they can bring other people into the church, bring them into maturity, so that Jesus can get the glory for what he did on the cross. And so, how many of you here are saved? We, we have a mission, guys. Like, we've got a job to do. And uh, it's interesting there in Matthew 28, when, when the disciples saw Jesus on the mountain there, it said that they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We're talking about the disciples, guys. They saw Jesus do the miracles. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus die on the cross. And they saw Jesus being raised from the dead. So I want to say to you, it's okay to doubt. It's not okay to not have faith. It's not okay to not have un to have unbelief. But it's okay to sometimes have doubt. And so part of what we want to do through this course is, is I want to give you guys confidence in the gospel. So that you can understand what the gospel is about. That you can understand what is the good news of the gospel. Why did Jesus have to come and die? Why was he raised from the dead? What is the authority that you now carry, that each and every one of us carry in the Holy Spirit, in the Lord? Why is it that the devil and his demons are subject to us? Not because we're clever or we're wise or we know our Bibles, but because we've been given authority in Christ. And what is it that we need to do as believers in order to live a fruitful Christian life so that one day when we get to heaven, we can stand before our Lord and our Master, our Savior and our Master, and hear these words, come in, my good and my faithful servant, come in to that which I have prepared for you. And so, I don't care if you've been saved a week, or if you've been saved for 20 years. What we're going to be doing in this time is applicable to you, because we've got a mission to do. And so I'm trusting that as I sow the word of the Spirit, that it would fall into your heart and that you guys will take up the mantle, that you guys will take up the responsibility, that we would take up the authority that God has given us and that we would make many, many more disciples of Jesus. It's not just Ross. It's not just Jeff. It's not just the deacons. I forgot James's name here for a second, but I got it back. Now it's each and every one of us because we are a priest of believers. It's not about your age. It's not about how long you've been saved. It's about the fact that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that stays in your heart. And if Jesus could use a donkey in the Old Testament, then surely He can use this donkey in the New. Alright. So, let me give you an overview. So what we're going to be doing today 
excuse me, got a bit of COVID heart. Flatters it all bit. <laughs> if I pass out, what must I do? <laughs> Are you guys all right? I'm in little slops over here. Is that all right for you guys? Would I offend everyone if I took them off? Thank you. Oh, I feel so much more grounded. <laughs> All right. So the first thing that we need to understand is, is we need to understand what is salvation. And so today we're going to talk about what is salvation. Why did Jesus have to come and die? And this is a, it's a, it's a complex topic. There's seven theories on atonement. And I'm not going to do them because I'm not that clever. But in them we'll cover all of them. And so when I think of salvation, there's four big concepts that we need to get down. And uh, I'm going to use a, a, a learning teaching technique. I think it's called the... Uh, I don't even know what it's called. We're going to use the colors of the watermelon to help us to, to get down these four concepts. What are the colors of a watermelon? All right, all together. Green, white, red, and black. So what do we think the black's for? Black's for sin. What's the white for? Believer's authority. Because we've been imputed Christ's righteousness. What's the red for? It's the blood of Jesus. Jesus had to come and die for us so that we could walk in the authority, so that our sins could be expiated, so that His righteousness could be imputed, so that we could be consecrated to service. We'll cover those things as we go along. And then there's the green. What are the things now that we have to do as Christians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling so that we can be fruitful in our Christian lives? Because you don't do nothing. Just like me in my marriage, if I did nothing, what would happen? Bad things. Alright, so let's start with the first concept, sin. And if you look at, I mean, if you think of sin, black, what do you think of? Now, probably for most of us, when we think of sin, we think of a, a morality or a merit, a merit or a system or a breaking of rules. Like we all know the Ten Commandments, right? Who, is, who have heard of the Ten Commandments? We all say that we know them, but quickly think, what's the first one? Oh, well done, you guys are better than me. What's the second one? No, 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 no. Yeah, that's probably right. But sin is so much more than just rules and breaking of rules. And so when we look at the New and the Old Testament, there's four words in the Greek and four words in the Hebrew that gets used to translate this concept of sin. Now please don't get stuck in the facts here. But you've got amartia in the Greek, or chata in the Hebrew. You've got... Paraptoma in the Greek, or Chait, you've got Pesha in the Hebrew, or Parabiasis, or you've got Asabiasis in the Greek, and Avon in the Hebrew. But the word that is mostly used for sin, sin is Amartya. It is to miss the mark. And so the picture that we have there is, is you've got this bullseye, You've got an archer aiming for the bullseye. 
And when he fires that arrow, and the arrow misses the mark, what happened? And the thing about sin is, is this, because in Jeremiah 1 verse 5 it says, that before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Big word, but it simply means I put you apart. I made you holy for my use. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so the first level of sin that we talk about here is not that we break rules. It's the fact that you were made with a plan, a purpose, and a destiny. Is that God knew you before you were born, and He knew what He wanted you to do. Ephesians 2 says that we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works, which He has laid out for us before the foundation of the world was laid. As I want to say to you this morning, that jy is nie karafaan babani. Jy is nie glip. Sorry, the English people, do you know what a karafaan babani is? The Afrikaans people, maybe comes from the Groot Trek. They all trekked away, and then they went onto their farms, and then they lived in houses, and now when it's holiday, they trek back to the coast, and then they live in, in Osobas again. And then sometimes they have a glipsy. And die Baba is a karafan You know, the Lord loving you. The one that wasn't really planned for. And so in God's dynamic, there are no caravan babies. There is no glipsies. Because God has consecrated you. God has known you. And He has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. And so maybe you're sitting here today and you're wondering what that is. Your life is without meaning. Your life is without purpose. And the only way that we can get back to the meaning and the purpose of what God has for us is to get connected with your Maker. Because He's the only one that knows. And so maybe you're sitting with despair, maybe you're sitting with hopelessness, maybe you're sitting like, what am I doing in this world? Only God knows why He made you. And so to get back to that, we need to get past that first level of sin, and that's why Jesus came, is to connect us back to the heart of the Father. Like what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, they walked with God in the cool of the day, they were stewards over this whole earth, that got broken by, by Adam and Eve's sin. So that's the first level that God wants to restore to us. Is that you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny in God. The second word is paraptoma. Is, is that sometimes we walk on the path and we stumble off the path. And we can maybe come back. And to trespass isn't to transgress. You see, to transgress is to know that there's a rule and then to willingly, willfully, rebelliously break that rule. But to trespass, sometimes we think we're alright. Sometimes we think we're holy. Sometimes we think we're consecrated. But you don't just get acts of commission, but you also get sins of omission. What does that mean? Like, I, I was taught never to use more than two, three syllable words in the sentence because then everyone, shut, everyone shuts down. It means that sin isn't just not doing something. It means that sin can also be not doing what you should be doing. So yesterday I was having a quick, before we came here, we left at about 3.30 and uh, I was driving here so I wanted just to have a, I woke up early in the morning so I wanted to have a quick nap before we came. And the children went to Netflix and they put on Goonies. Who, who have you seen the movie Goonies? 
It's a children's movie. Supposedly. But I remember, how old were you? Sarah was about six or seven, and I thought, I remember watching Goonies, and I loved it. It was like a nice adventure story. They go look for this treasure, and there's this one-eyed guy, and there's like burglars. And, and uh, so we read the, what's the thing that we read on the common sense media? We read up before we let the children watch movies. Because as a dad, it's my responsibility to protect them, to give them identity, and to give them provision. And so part of my protection is, is I'm not just going to let them watch anything because it's going to impact into their lives. So we read this thing and, you know, we watched the movie and, and when we finished the movie, I thought to myself, that was quite a nice movie. And so Sarah yesterday, when we started watching the movie, she said, you know, Dad, when I watched this when I was five, I was petrified for two weeks. And I was like, why? She said, no, there was this, like, body in the fridge. And it really scared her. And look at her. <laughs> I'm sure she's fine now. But what did I do as a dad? I neglected my duty. I didn't do it on purpose, but I slipped and I strayed from the ball. Sometimes we can even speak words. Like in a congregation like this, there's a lovely buzz, we've got relationship, we've got connection. You know, sometimes you can drop an idle word that can, can hurt someone. You guys notice I've got a bit of a skewed nose? I know you guys couldn't tell me. So I'm a little bit sensitive, sensitive about my schnoz. So the one day we were at Greg's place and we were just having fun. I was trying to drink, but my nose didn't quite fit in the glass. And he made a comment. I was like, oh, it hurts a little bit. And he didn't mean anything by it. But if I didn't catch my heart at that moment, you know, a shadow could have come into my heart. And I could have just like gone, mm, no, Greg, he's an elder, but not really a nice guy. And who would say that to someone? Can't he see that my nose is broken and big? And I allow that shadow to come into my heart. And I allow it to grow and grow. It grows from shadow to resentment to bitterness. And then six weeks later, I walk into the church and there's Greg and I'm like, no, I don't want to be around him. And then out of the overflow of the mouth, heart, the mouth speaks. And then I start going to Jake and they're like, you see, no, Uncle Greg, he thinks he serves well, but he's talked to him really sucks. <laughs> and I start, it goes from gossip to slander to malice. What happened there? There was a trespass that happened. He didn't know that he did something wrong. And so the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You might be sitting, I'm not going to point fingers, you might be sitting there today and you think, I am spotless before the Lord. I'm telling you, you not. We all have a burden of sin that we carry. And then there's the transgression is that sometimes we willfully choose to disobey God's word. So my desires drag me off and I meet a lady and, yeah, we're going to get married and, yeah, sleep together before we get married. Or I get my tax return and I know that I must pay my taxes and I, I don't. Or I get asked a question and I lie. 
And all of us have done these things. And in Romans it says that where there's a law, there's a penalty. And where there's a penalty, there's wrath. You see, God's not happy about this thing called sin. He's not happy about it at all. Because it, sin permeates and it breaks me, it twists me out of the image of God in my life. It comes into my life, it changes my thinking, it breaks my relationships, and it just destroys the whole world. And so we see Adam and Eve sin, and a couple of verses later, Cain kills Abel, or Abel kills Cain, I'm not quite sure which one. And so sin gives birth to sin, gives birth to death. And so the problem that we have is, is we've got this problem of sin. And if we continually break God's law, Romans 1 explains to us that the fourth word that's used for sin is avon or asabiasis or ungodliness. You see, we were made in the image of God. What does that mean? Does it mean that we walk upright? Does it mean that we can think? Does it mean that we can speak? Does it mean that we can rule and reign like God does? I kind of like means all those things. But Mark Driscoll says a very beautiful thing in his book on doctrine. He says, to be made in the image of God is to be made to pour forth that which you behold. So if we behold God, we behold Jesus, we behold those, we pour forth His kingdom. And we can walk in the stewardship of this world around us. But if we take our eyes off Him, if we break the first commandment, and we put our eyes on other things, we start pouring forth those things. And the Bible says that when we do that continuously, we get twisted out of the image of God. And eventually we are unable to portray God. And so this is the thing about order. You know that the Antichrist is never called the Antichrist in the New Testament. But in Thessalonians, he's called the man that will lead the great rebellion in the man of lawlessness, the antinomos. Anti against a nomos being law or order. In today's world, we have an attack on order. You are no longer the husband of the house. You are no longer the head of your wife. You are no longer the person that raises your children. We no longer respect our political authorities. Because the devil is coming and he's turning the order of what God has established and he's turning it on its head. And God calls us as the image bearers to bring order wherever we go. And so Numbers 14 it says, can I get Numbers 14? Sorry, is this alright? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not angry, I'm just very passionate. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the God we serve. Slow to anger, not quick. Abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving iniquity, avon. And transgressions. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers onto the children, to the third and to the fourth generation. Sin does not just affect you. It affects your children. It affects your grandchildren. It affects your great-grandchildren. And you are affected by what your great-grandpa did and your great-grandma. 
And so maybe if you look over your shoulder, you see in your family a line of divorce. It's just everywhere in that bloodline. It's just divorce everywhere. Or maybe there's anxiety and fear and depression. Or maybe there's addictions like alcoholism, gambling. Those things are sometimes deeper than just a choice. By this I'm not saying you are predestined to sin. I'm saying that some of us might be predisposed to sin. You know when God speaks to Cain before he kills Abel, he says, sin is crouching at your door and is waiting to master you. And so for some of us, you know, to drink a glass of wine might be fine as long as we don't cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. But for some of us it might not be. Because if you've got a predisposition to that, then just be careful. Or to fear or anxiety. Why is fear such a big deal? Well, fear is the opposite of faith. We need courage, especially in this generation, to extend the kingdom of God. We need courage in our schools, we need courage in our marriages, we need courage in this world to carry out the plan and the purpose and the destiny of God for this world in our life. So, how do you know? How do I know if I've got sin in my life? How do I know if I'm struggling in an area? Because Jesus has come to set you free. He's come to give you life and that life in abundance. And I want to just give you one quick, just a little picture that you can ask yourself. Like, where must I contend? Where must I fight for my freedom? Rust is the right. Can you guys understand me? Is it clear? Yes, clear as mud, eh? How long have we been going? Fifteen minutes? Seven minutes. Yes, it felt a bit longer. Must have felt long for you guys. Who knows Samson? Shoot, she's like four people. Samson is the guy in the Old Testament. Strong guy. Powerful guy. And so he was a Nazarene. So there were four rules. He had to marry an Israelite girl. Couldn't marry outside. He was not allowed to have strong drink. He was not allowed to cut his hair. He wasn't allowed to touch dead stuff. So Samson grows up. I actually think he was a thin guy like me. It wasn't like a bigger. It looked strong. Wow. <laughs> so he sees this. One day he sees this. He's in the field and he sees this gold. That like. He likes it. So he goes to his mom and he says, That Philistine gold. I want it to be my wife. So his parents should have said no at that point, but they didn't. So they put up Tomite. Well, actually, they probably got rest. So they say, yeah, I know, right, we're going to organize a party, you can meet the girls. So on the way to the party, Samson's walking in the field, and there's a deadline, and in the deadline, in this carcass, there's a, a, a hive full of bees. So Samson's like, ooh, 
honey. I love honey. It's sweet. It's desirable. It's lacquer. And so he goes in and he touches the dead thing and he eats it. Sin is desirable. Let me tell you, Ross didn't use drugs because it was bad. And it felt bad. And neither did I. It was amazing. But it's amazing for a moment. We didn't sleep around before marriage because it was bad. No, it was desirable. It was pretty nice. But sin gives birth to sin, gives birth to death. And so even though sin is sweet on the lips, it'll kill you in the long run. Goes down, marries her. I think he marries her. Anyway, now there's a long story. He's here, he's there, foxes, this is there. Philistines is like, oh, why is this guy so strong? Hey, Delilah, find out for us. So one night, he says to him, you know what? It's in my hair. So she calls the Philistines, cut his hair, loses his strength. They gouge out his eyes. They take him to Philistia. I made that up. Um, I'm somewhere in Philistia. Where did they take him? It must be Philistia. <laughs> Ash, Ashdog. Ashgod. They took him to Ashgod. They were Thor lives. <laughs> and there's this hammer you can't pick up now. Um, so they take him there, they gouge out his eyes, they put him with a molster, two big stones with a piece of lock, and they put the grain in the top and they grind the stuff, but it's the work that donkeys do. So they put him in there and they make him grind the wheat to make the flour, best stone ground flour. Hey? They took him to Gaza, where Ashgod is. What does sin do to you? Makes you lose your strength. Makes you blind, spiritually blind. You lose the, the voice. Where's God? Can't hear him, can't see him, can't feel him, can't perceive him, can't discern him. Where's God? You do the work of a donkey, heavy, you push a heavy burden, and you're going around in circles. So is there any area in your life where you feel like you're going around in circles? It's just like, you know, God says that I've come to give you life and life in abundance, but in my finances, uh-uh. In my marriage, uh-uh. In my relationship, uh-uh. I don't know, friends. I can't keep a work, a job, sorry, sorry, can't, any of that go me? Can't keep a job? Can't stay long in a town? Can't stay long in a church? Going around the mountain. You're carrying this heavy, heavy, sorry, what, what's that? What's wrong, Ross? I, I apologize, I did forget my belt today. 
lose your strength. Ganimimi. Feels I just can't carry on. This Christian thing is too heavy for me. This community thing is too heavy for me. This church thing is too heavy for me. This relationship thing with God is too heavy for me. I don't have strength. And you know what the wonderful thing is? Is that even you sitting here now, the Holy Spirit might have identified some areas for you. But He might not have. But Jesus is true, is true and faithful to us because He says in John 6, it is better that I go away because when I go away, I will send Him, the Paracletus, the one that will come alongside you, the one that will encourage you. And He will convict you he will convince you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so the Holy Spirit is true to us to reveal these areas within us where we're not fully reflecting the image of God and we are suffering the consequences of sin in our lives. And so I would encourage you to, it's great to sit under the teaching, but the knowledge won't change you. The understanding won't change you. The application of the knowledge and wisdom will change you. And so let's not be a people that is ever hearing, ever seeing, but never changing. So I want to encourage you, I'm going to, through Ross, I'll send you some questions that you can, guys can work through. But this course that we're doing is not a course for your head because knowledge puffs up but love builds up. This is a course for you to walk into freedom. And when you walk into freedom, you can bring other people into freedom. That's discipleship. It's active. It's not just knowledge. Well, we have some knowledge. How are you guys doing? You, you, should I carry on? Or is it Hanukhna? Because we've done like three pages and there's 60. <laughs> I mean, I'm in despair. Hopelessness. <laughs> no, I'm not. Cut, let's stand up quickly, stretch your legs. We're going to do the blood of Jesus and then we're going to um, do the rest on Wednesday. Right, guys, I think that, like, this is good, eh? It's good. So this is a little different. Remember, so, Sunday is not always the same. So I want to stretch us a little bit. It's a minute or two, yeah? And then we're going to go, we're going to, more, I'm going to let Monet go again. Because there's something that's building into us. Remember, we're speaking of foundational things. What better privilege, what better opportunity to get us all exposed to this for this time? Eh? So that's why we ended worship a little little quickly because these are things that we want to build into us. Okay, I'm going to give it over back to him.
Right, we've actually done 10 pages. Feel a lot better now. That's called confession. Don't call me a liar. Right, so why did Jesus have to come to die? And when he died for us, what was the effect of his blood on our sin? Because this is the good news now. In him we have redemption through the blood of forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7. So it's God that takes us. Redemption is a, is a, is a legal term. For when there's a slave in a slave market, they are bonded to a master. They cannot choose where they go. They are literally in the Roman world. A slave had less um, rights than a donkey. You could kill a slave, but you couldn't kill a donkey. And so in that type of scenario, we were caught in a slave market. Because the Bible says, whoever sins is, is mastered by this, by this sin. And so Jesus translates us, brings us out, and He redeems us. And He, he sets us free, He pays the penalty, and He brings us into His house. And He changes our identity from that of being a slave to that of being a son. Because He doesn't just pay the ransom price, but He also adopts us as children into His household. And so when we look at the blood of Jesus, uh, in the Old Testament, we are all called priests in the New Testament. So we are all called to do the things that priests did in the, in the Old Testament. You guys know what priests did in the Old Testament? Because they bride a lot. Imagine this, you've got this big fancy bride, it's called the brazen altar. And there's a fire going on it the whole day. And then when I sinned, I had to go fetch a a lamiki, spotless one, to make atonement for my sin. So now I'm yeah, I'm going with my lamb. I go through the the way. The first door was called the way. And then there was the brazen altar. So I go to the altar and I say to the priest, priest, listen, I've done something terrible. I put my hand on the the head of the, the animal and I say Lord Jesus forgive me. Well he didn't say Lord Jesus but forgive me. I lay my sins on this animal. I identify with his life. He identifies with my death. They cut his throat. They catch the blood in a bowl. And they pour it out on the side of the altar. And then they, they bride. The priests get some chops. And God gets the rest. I mean, the camp must have smelled quite lacquer. I mean, I love the smell of a bride. And then the next day I make another mistake and the whole camp's like, oh, I'm going to put you scarpy. And you know what? Sheep are expensive. I mean, how much do you pay for a lamb now? Two thousand? Well, I, I don't know. I'm a pastor. I eat vegetables. Two and a half grand. A pop. Oh, it's special. You see, you weren't allowed to take that special lamb. Because he's the one with the defect. You had to take the A grade. The triple A. He says, sin is costly. But that was one of the ways that the priests applied the blood. They would pour it on the side of the altar. There was actually four ways that the priests, what ways the priests applied the blood of Jesus. And four things that it symbolizes for us in the New Testament. 
The first thing is, is it was sprinkled. And in Aaron and his son's case, when they were appointed to be the, the priests that would minister before the Lord, they had certain clothes that they had to wear called vestments. And so when they were inaugurated, the big word for Tuala begin. The first year. You know, the first time you always make a mess up. <laughs> they took. <laughs> sorry, my mind. My, my, they took the blood of the lamb, they mixed it with the oil of the spirit, and they sprinkled the vestments. And they were consecrated for service to the Lord. So there's a sprinkling for consecration. There's the pouring of the blood for expiation or for removal of the burden of sin. Because as you put your head on that lamb and you confess your sin before the Lord, the lamb gets killed and his blood, the life of the animal is in the blood, is poured out inside of the altar. And there's a removal of the sin and the burden of the sin that I carry and I go out free and that animal dies. But that was a symbol of Jesus that would die later on. But over the period of Israel's history, there was a lot of animals that went. Third thing that they did with the blood is they used it to mark. And so the best example is, is when the Israelites have their Passover meal. God says to them, take the blood of the lamb, the spotless lamb, take the Issa branch, dip it in the blood and mark the lintel and the doorposts. Catholics got it right cross and what happened that night sorry you guys must excuse my humor just don't be offended rather laugh it's hard to be offended with someone when you laugh and that night when the angel of, of death came what happened so Jesus' blood marks us for protection because we need protection. We are in this world. We are not of this world. Who is here with us? The Holy Spirit, no, he's the good guy. The enemy is here with us. We live in a war zone. Look around you. There are some people that are not here that were here last year. What happened? Some of them might be taking a break, but some of them might have lost their faith, if that's possible. Maybe a quick comment there. I'm not an Armenian or a Calvinist. You guys know what that is? The Calvinist says that God's will and strength is so great that once He saves me and He's got me in His hand, then nothing can rip me out of his hand. I'm safe forever. And that's true. But if you abuse that truth, and you don't add your will to his will, and you don't walk in your plan and purpose and destiny, then, then, you know, maybe he didn't just save you to go on sinning. He saved you to bring you back into relationship with him. Armenians say, yeah, you got to work, bro. You saved. I'm saved today, but I don't know about tomorrow. 
And these oaks have been arguing for at least 2,000 years. And I think it's a perspective problem. Ross, there's Ross. He's a Calvinist. And he's looking at salvation through from that perspective. I'm or no, I I'm an Armenian. I'm like Hebrew, I'm gonna add to God's will my will. Ross, on which side of the room is that lectern? This lectern. I stand with you. Which side? Left or right? It's right. It's your left. On which side of the room is my lectern? It's on my right hand side. Now he says left, I say right. Who's right? Both of us are right. So how long are we going to argue about this? Forever. I'm not an Armenian. I'm not a Calvinist. I am a relationist. Find yourself in Christ. Find yourself in relationship with Him. Find yourself in His plan, purpose, and destiny. And you don't have to worry about the end. Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus is eternal life. The problem with eternal is, is we think it's there. Eternity is there on the other side of death. A better translation is perpetual life. You know those little balls that they, you know, you've got balls and string and you're going to go thump, 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 thump. And it, it just carries on. It's like, where does the energy come from? Now perpetual energy or perpetual motion is, is that something that will just carry on forever. But in this world, we can't have it because of stuff like friction and wear, we've got to oil in our car and all that type of stuff. But God's energy within us is an unlimited resource. And so when we hook into His energy, into His power, into His authority, we have dunamis. We have perpetual energy. You, as a Christian, can never say that. It's the field. It's too much. Akani. Because you've got that energy inside of you. And when you give your heart to Jesus, that's the moment that you have access for the first time. And you get charged. Tesla and Elon Musk. I've got that Tesla wall unit here. And then I can like hoi a bit on my Tesla wall unit, you know? And then what happens after a few days? Oh, shucks, my battery goes flat. But God hasn't called us to live out of our Tesla wall units. Is it called a Tesla wall unit? Oh. Oh. Ross's battery needs both. Now God's given us solar panels. And whenever we come into the glory of the sun, we get recharged. We can go little bits without it. That's why when you go to the energy, you feel recharged. That's why when you come to church, you feel recharged. But God doesn't want you to live from Wednesday to Sunday. He wants you to live every day with full access. You've got your little reservoir as a backup. 
but not as a primary resource. It's so far off there. Where am I? Who am I? <laughs> so what were we talking about? We're somewhere on the blood of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, the blood. Which one did we do? We did the sprinkling for consecration. We did the pouring for, for blood. We, we didn't even do the third one, did we? Oh, we did the marking. Yeah. That's where we were. And then the fourth one. And y'all can remember I can go to my notes, but I'm not going to. For dedication. So, in my little detour there, I've, I've missed one or two things. And maybe I haven't. When we get sprinkled for consecration, when we get brought into God's family, we have, a, we have to participate. We have to work at our salvation with fear and dreaming. And in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Titus 2 verse 20 it says this, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. How many of you want to be used by God? Well, what Paul says there is, if you want to be used for honorable use, you don't just want to pack out the chairs, which is a wonderful service. Don't make, let me diminish the service. But if you've got a dream in your heart, you'd like to preach the gospel to thousands and see thousands of people say, you want to be used in a more honorable way. Honor means to carry weight. You want more of God in you so that you can have more effect. It says there that in a house there are many vessels. And we choose what we get used for by how we clean ourselves. Now, how many of you have got these new toothbrushes? How many of you got those old ones? Now, after you use the old one for a while, what happens to it? And <laughs> when you're going for that lamb choppy, it's kind of like it misses it all the time, you know? Got to call in the backup, got to call in the floss. What do you do with those old toothbrushes? You buy a new one. But then the old one, my mum used to go like, there's some places that that toilet brush just doesn't go. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? You gotta go right at the back there. You gotta get that stuff. We choose. Do you wanna be a toilet brush? Do you wanna be a toothbrush? You choose because if you cleanse yourself and you don't cleanse yourself in your own power you allow the Holy Spirit to work with you you know me and the Donovan's our worship leader and thing and we've got the same God is good and we're getting better I'm not perfect you're not perfect that's all right you're in Christ in a relationship and God will take you and he'll show you you're going around the mountain here and 
know, you just get better. Listen to him, repent, renounce, confess. Do what you need to do. Use the blood of Jesus, cleanse yourself, and God will sanctify you. He's already saved you, but we're on this journey of getting better. And don't worry, when you die, you'll be perfect. I don't know how that works, but that's what the Bible says. So the consecration is important. And you responsible. Sorry. No. I didn't put this. Oh, no, I made it worse. <laughs> We're responsible for it. We choose. God's chosen. And that's what I think that scripture means. Many are called, but few are. I actually think it means many are called, but few choose. Few choose to be chosen. Because we're all called. Your calling is no different from, well, it might be different in, in what, but it's no different in authority or in reward or in inheritance. Let me just say you guys have been great. I know this is hot, and I know that I'm going on. Expiation. The pouring, the identifying with the sacrifice. Pouring of the blood on the altar. The Bible says in Psalms that God has removed my east as far as my sins as far as the east is from the west. When does the east and the west touch? Somewhere there in the Orient. Maybe in New Zealand. Maybe in Russia. No, it never touches. Because it always goes this way and it always goes that way. In Hebrews it says that God remembers my sin no more. Now here's a question. Does God have dementia? Does God have Alzheimer's? Does He forget your sin? So what does it mean that God remembers your sin no more? Now at this point it's probably good to just think about how much sin you have. I'll share some of mine now, but just that you don't judge me too severely. I also want to just point out that you guys are sinners with me. Now it means that the Greek word there is meno, masomai. Meno to pause, masomai to chew. You know, when you in the farmlands like we are, we country pumpkins, we see the, the cows stand next to the road at lunchtime underneath the tree. In the morning you chase them out and they run and it's fraudsig and they go eat as much grass as they can get into them because they've got a couple of stomachs. And then in the afternoon they go and stand in the shade and they go. And they start chewing the vomit. It's really quite disgusting. I don't know how you guys drink milk. I love milk. See what that scripture says, actually means, is that God doesn't every time you walk into His presence go. You see, when I was an old boy, I had pocket money, two rand. Wilson toffees were two cents. I think they're like a random. It's ridiculous. And I and, and, and my desire for sweets were more than my budget for it. So being an ingenious young man I am, I made a plan. I would buy a few sweets and then I would put a few in my pants. And then I would go to the toll and I would pay for some and I would walk out with the rest. Why did that make me? 
maybe a thief. So what am I? I'm a thief. Luckily I'm not a robber. So do thieves inherit the kingdom of God? Do thieves get used by God? So why am I here? Because God has chosen not to re-chew on my old identity. You see, when I came to Christ, Jesus' blood took my identity as a thief and it put it as far as the east is from the west, away from me. Now when I walk into God's presence and He sees me, He goes, not, hey, here's my name, the thief. He goes, ah, here's my name, my son. thing that we do with ourselves is this. You see, God doesn't bring back our sins to us. But sometimes we will bring back our sins to ourselves. And we of course have an enemy that will remind us of the things that we did last summer. I've got one smile. You see, applying the blood of Jesus as priests in our own lives means that we see ourselves the way that God sees us. And if God says I'm forgiven, then I'm forgiven. And sometimes we need to take those old things that we did, those things that live in that closet, and we need to apply the blood of Jesus to them and accept God's forgiveness. That's what it means to repent. So I changed my mind. I changed my mind from what the world says. It's like, you'll always be a thief. And God says, no, I forgive you, my son. You my daughter. I've got a plan and a purpose for you. You are not disqualified by the things that you did in the past. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are not a redone engine. You were a smoky diesel. Now you're a turbo petrol. But God did see. God expiates. And remember to fight. You know, this is where the white, the believer's authority comes in. And I'm going to somehow cover the topic of believer's authority right now. So I'm talking quickly on the white. We have authority in Christ Jesus. And we have to take up our authority. And sometimes we can make the mistake and think that our authority is rooted in us. It's rooted in my cleverness, it's rooted in my age, it's rooted in my maturity as a Christian, it's rooted in how many times I go to church, it's rooted in how well I do at the community, it's rooted in those things. It's not rooted in any of those things. Some of those things are helpful, but it's not rooted in those things. Your authority is rooted in Christ Jesus. When you drive on the N1 and you are going 160 k's an hour, Past Worcester, where it's an 80 zone. And that little blue man steps out in front of the car. Why do you stop? Because you can just go. Did you see anything? You see, you stop. Not because that blue uniform gets some special powers. 
where they can stop your car with their mind. Now you stop, because on his chest, he carries a badge. And on that badge it says, Officer of the Republic of South Africa. And you know that if you ride over that man, that before you get to the end of Worcester, that there's going to be a lot of white vans with blue lights. And they will take you captive, put you in prison, bring you before the judge, and that judge will sentence you according to the measure that you need to be sentenced. And so the devil and his demons don't listen to you because you're clever or strong or have special powers. He listens to you because you have the blood of Jesus on you. You've been marked. And maturity means this. When my child was born, I fed him, I cleaned his backside for both of them. For it feels like forever. But it wasn't that long. And they started to use the potty and then they started walking. Actually, they first started walking and then they started using the potty. But if I still had to do that today, they wouldn't be here because they would be stinking. So maturity is doing the things that you should be doing at the right time of development. So when you get saved, you're a newborn. And God, the Holy Spirit and the angels probably does everything for you along with the church, the pastors and the deacons and the home group here. But as you grow up, God's going to go, Alright, time to clean your own bum. Time to eat your own food. You can't just come to church and eat and drink the milk. You need to start digging yourself. Why does he do that? Because he wants to bring you into maturity. Because we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we don't want to be 16 year olds with dirty bums. That's why God gives us authority. <laughs> I hope this lady translating. How's it going over there? You're <laughs> finding all the right words. <laughs> I'm sorry. But God doesn't just ask us to do this by ourselves. So He asks us to do this together. And sometimes we might find that we have got cycles in our life that is deeper. They're kind of like the iniquity type. Or maybe they come with fear or the depression or the, uh, the alcoholism or the drug addiction or the sexual addiction or the, you know, whatever it is for you. And, you know, alcohol is a Christ. You don't judge because I've got my stuff, you've got your stuff, and together we're just in trouble. And so sometimes I found that, you know, Jesus says, if you are my disciples, you will know the truth. If you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth. No, no, no. If you are truly my disciples, you will obey my commands. You will know the truth and it will set you free. And so sometimes God will give us the truth in a preach like today. And there's faith. You feel the conviction of the Spirit. Act on it. Act on it in the moment. Because that altar is only here while we're here. There's a teaching going around in the world that we shouldn't do altar calls. It's from the demonic. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 
the Jews were cut to the heart. They said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent, be baptized, all of you, and you will be saved. You see, there's a process that God uses, and this is the green. This is what we must do. We must put ourselves in situations where we are exposed to the rhema word of God. That can be through the preaching, that can be through the teaching, that can be through a life situation, that can be through a prophecy, that can be through a word of knowledge, that can be through a donkey speaking to you. But you know in your heart that when the Holy Spirit speaks and there's conviction, you are convinced this is God. Act. Because you've got three choices at that point. Either you harden your heart, like the Israelites did in the rebellion, and they remained there and died there. God might give you a second chance, but He might not. Because a lot of them died. I think only Joshua and Caleb made it. You can lack in your faith. You can distasso. You can struggle. That's alright. When you struggle, get a friend. Because where two or three are gathered, there I am amongst you. And when I can't pray and have enough faith, and maybe when you pray with me, I can break through. Or the third thing is, is we can be obedient. And those that keep in step with the Spirit are called. That's what it means to be in Christ. It means to keep in step with the Spirit. You can step into Christ. You can step out of Christ. And in Hebrews, when it talks about dead works, I can do good works, really. I can work out preachers. I can pray for people. I can help people, sick people. I can drive around people. I can work very hard in the kingdom. Unless you do what Jesus did. I do only what I see the Father doing, and I speak only what I see the Father speaking. Unless you do everything in your life out of conviction and faith. Because it, the convincedness in my heart enters and at that moment there's faith. Because God puts the faith there. And so in your salvation it works like this. I'm convicted, I ask you to manifest what is unseen to make it seen. And when you raise your hand, or stand, or whatever it is. You acknowledge that God is alive, that He is real, and that He's spoken to you. And that gets credited to you as righteousness. You see, Abraham, God came to Abraham and said to him, Go to a land that I will show you. God didn't pitch up there in the flesh. God didn't write him a letter. He didn't send him an email. In his heart, he felt he must go, and he went. He was 90. Living in a city. Now he's going to go live in a tent. Who of you like camping? It's terrible. The gangsters on the left. Baboos on the right. A flimsy tent. And he listened. Imagine his dad must have flipped. Hey dad, I'm going to go to a place that God's going to show me. What? He loses. Bring the jacket. Take him to the padded room. And so that 
And then we have things that we can do. It starts from conviction. It ends in obedience and faith. And it's things like this. Prayer. Praying in tongues. Praying with your understanding. Praying alone. Praying together. It's things like repentance. Convinced I'm in sin. Sorry, Lord. It's things like obedience. You hear the voice of the Lord. I'm still on track here. So, everyone close your eyes. Right, you can open your eyes. I just had to pull up my pants. So a couple of years back, I grew up in a divorce home. Afraid of what people thought of me. I'm not, I don't like the limelight. And uh, in Josh Jane for a while, Andrew does a preach. And at the end of the preach, I feel God speak to me and says to me, Monai, get on your chair. Surely this isn't God. I mean, I'm a pharmacist, for crying out loud. I mean, I'm logical. I'm reasoned. God says to me, Monai, stand on your chair and face backwards. I'm also clever and I'm full of wisdom. And I realized this is getting worse. At first it was get on your chair. I mean, I could have faced whatever way I wanted. Now it's get on my chair and face backwards. What's the next one? Get on your chair, face backwards and take off your t-shirt? I don't know. So I'm like, okay. I've followed God for long enough to know when He speaks to me. So I get on my chair. And it's like this. Everyone's looking at me. Andrew's preaching. I'm standing on my chair, Roy Gesicht. I'm there for Ireland and I have 40 minutes, 40, 40, not 40 minutes, sorry, sorry, sorry. 40 seconds, God says to me, you can sit down. I'm like, thank you God, I'm finding a new church. Embarrassed. No explanation. Nothing. Luckily no one mentions it. It's as if it didn't happen. <laughs> a couple of years later, Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says to me, Monai, you have fear of man. Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snake. What is a snake? It's a piece of rope on the ground tied to something, so I walk into it and it goes around my leg. And what does a snake do to you? I want to go forward. But I can't. I'm stuck. My fear of man kept me back. What am I doing now? I speak for a living. You can ask Ross. I don't speak much. But God knew. You see, God knew. But in order for me to walk into the plan and the purpose and the destiny that He had for me, he had to break that thing in my life. Was it painful? Was it uncomfortable? Was it embarrassing? It was all those things. But in the moment of faith, when I listened to my Father, to my Lord and to my Savior, He broke something off me that enabled me to walk into the ball and the plan and burst and the destiny that God has for me. And for us as Christians, these things of repentance, these things of confession, 
Confession is not just between you and God and someone sitting on the other side of the screen. Now this Bible says, confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed of it. You see, sometimes you might be forgiven of your sin, but you're not healed of your sin. And so you're still bumped, you're still trapped. You're still... And we need to talk to one another. Now don't talk to anyone. Talk to someone that you trust and talk to a leader so that they can pray with you. Because the prayer of a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available. And you will be healed. And so maybe you're struggling in some areas. But the devil has got you. Because you think, if they know, if they find out, they will reject me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love towards us is higher, wider, deeper, and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from that love and that life except you by your choices. So my appeal to us this morning as we wrap this is that Christian means to live in conviction. To be a Christian means to live in His voice. To be a Christian means to have the faith to be obedient. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're going to sink like Peter. Yes, we're going to sometimes focus on the world. That's alright to discuss it. The disciples had that. But God will not put you in any situation that is more than what you can endure and that you can hold on to. Because He is not a liar. And as we practice the fruitful practices of Christianity in faith, through obedience, through conviction of the Spirit, we start developing our authority firstly within ourselves by transforming our mind, by renewing our understanding, by growing in our faith. And it, it transforms and we use our authority. And then, you know, God says, I'm faithful. And then He says, you know what, I'm going to give you a dog. You can look after your dog. And then He says, well, I can give you some people to look after we grow and so God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life if you will grab a hold of him like he has grabbed a hold of you you will walk in that and this morning I want to invite us to do that but before we do that I want you to close your eyes because if there's anyone here this morning that have come in and you don't have a living relationship with the Holy Spirit, hearing His voice, feeling His conviction, and obeying in faith, then you've been living in dead works. They might have been good, but they were still dead, and they meant nothing. And as I'm speaking this morning, something is happening in your heart, just like happened, what happened to the Jews when Peter spoke. And you ask Him in your heart, you're feeling cut, you're convicted, what must I do? And if you react this morning, you will be saved. You will be brought into the family, your sins will be forgiven, you will be given a new purpose and a destiny. You will be cleansed and you will start walking the road with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and eternal perpetual life will spring up and you will get a new source of energy. And if that's you this morning and you're feeling that conviction in your heart, I want you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. You need to make manifest the invisible that's happening in your heart. So if that's you, just raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Anyone? Don't be afraid of man. Don't be trapped by the snare. Just raise your hand so that we can pray. Awesome. We just always want to give an opportunity for salvation to come. Now for the rest of us, maybe God's spoken to you in some, some area in your life. I would like to pray, pray for us. So why don't we stand together? I'm just going to pray for us. And then, uh, you guys have been great. I know that we've gone long. Please forgive me. Um, and so what we'll do on Wednesday night is, is we'll move on to forgiveness, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, from there we'll move on to prophecy, speaking in tongues, and how to live a fruitful Christian life. Those are the topics that we'll be covering. We'll also be covering in baptism renunciation. How to get rid of some of the things that might have stuck in my life. I might have been involved in a cult, a Ouija board, book, book, classy, classy. I might have gone to the Tani at the Caravan. You know, am I going to marry a handsome man with dark hair? You know, you've, you've walked in on the enemy's territory. Those things don't always go away in salvation. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they need to be renounced. Baptism is a great time for that, but it can happen outside of baptism too. So that's what we'll be doing on Wednesday night. Sunday and going forward. Let me pray for us. Let's Before Monet prays, I want to say something. So I've just been listening to him now. Is I really I feel like there's been moments that like the Holy Spirit has flown and has spoken into some of your hearts, straight deep into some of your hearts. And and actually, we've as a church, we felt this is something we want to do for, for all of us as a people. This is just the beginning. I think over the next few weeks, or the next two weeks, over the next few sessions, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to do things in all of our hearts. And as we stand up now and we actually respond, and Monet prays for us, I'm trusting that when we open our hearts, the Lord, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, would you do something in my heart over the next few weeks? You may be spoken to me right now, but will you, ongoing, it's an ongoing thing He's doing, will you transform and right now, as right before Monet even prays for us, I don't want to just I don't want to just end like this. I want we need to be left with something and it's that see that there's by the spirit in our hearts right now. So maybe just as Monet is gonna pray, just close your eyes. He's gonna pray for us, but just, just open your hearts. Look into heaven. Look into heaven. He wants you to change. He wants you to look more like Jesus, more than you even know. More than you even know. He's perfecting each and every single one of us to the look to look like the Son by His Spirit. There's somebody here this morning, there's a few of you here this morning. Your desire is to experience more of God. Because Jesus says, rivers of living water will come out of your innermost being and will jump up into eternal life for you. 
and you've seen something of the Spirit move, but you've always wondered, why doesn't the Spirit move in me? And our hearts is like a well. And these things that I've spoken about today, these thoughts that we think about God and we think about ourselves and not forgiving ourselves, they're like rocks that hinder the flow of God in our life. So sometimes we can get a trickle, but we don't get a stream. So use what Ross has just said to open the well of your heart. As we go forward with this thing, we're going to pray for each other and God's going to come and there's going to be a move of the Spirit. If you prepare your heart, you can have a can taste more of who Jesus is and that's been your desire and so just go with what the Spirit's doing. Is that alright? Alright. Father we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you Holy Spirit that you were here with us this morning. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that has come and has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. I thank you Father that you wash every heart here this morning, that you mark us, that you protect us, that you lead us forward by your Spirit. I thank you Father for an infilling of your Spirit, a transformation of our mind, an innovation and a motivation in our heart Lord, that you would cause the fire that's inside of us to jump up into more zeal Father as the wind of your Spirit blows over us. We pray Father that in these next